I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 560, where we'll find the Word of God summarized by the Church in Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And that'll be the focus of our preaching and sermon this afternoon, Lord's Day 46, and what it has to say based on Scripture about prayer. Question 120, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So far, our confession. In response... We'll sing together from hymn 12 in response to the preaching of the gospel. Hymn 12, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. And there, Moses, that's a song of Moses. He also speaks about the fatherhood of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last Sunday we started to delve into the Bible's teaching on prayer, and we saw that prayer is a precious gift of God to us. Prayer is not our idea, it's God's idea. Talking to God, having the Lord listen to us, to sinful people like us, is never something that we could demand of the Almighty Creator. It's not something we could impose upon Him. It's not something we have the ability to bring about. Just try to imagine that, us puny and rebellious human beings somehow daring to say to our Maker, uh, God, I want to say something to you. Listen up now, okay? I mean, the very thought is blasphemous, isn't it? And it's ludicrous. We could no more make God listen to us than we could say to the sun in the sky, stop shining. Turn down your light. I mean, it's, it's even silly to suggest such a thing, isn't it? Creatures don't dictate how things go to the Creator. The Creator tells us how things will go. And it turns out, as we saw last time, that our Creator is filled with immeasurable grace and compassion for us. Even after we humans turned our back on God, even after we broke the relationship that He had set up with us at the beginning, He still wanted to know us. He still wanted a relationship with us. He even promised to sacrifice His only Son to restore the covenant that we broke. 
And that's where the gift of prayer comes from, from a God who wants to relate to us, from a God who continues to love us, though we deserve the opposite, from a God who cares, a God who, who even pleads with us, talk to me, my people, talk to me, my children. We saw it in Psalm 81 last week. Well, behind the gift of prayer, and the call to pray to God is our loving Father in heaven. And that's critical for us to know, as our Lord Jesus made especially clear in the prayer He taught us. And so I bring you this word of the Lord under this theme, call upon God as Father. Call upon God as Father. Know your Father's heart. Know your Father's hand and know your father's family. When the disciples asked the Lord Jesus to teach them to pray, then indeed, as the Catechism puts it, Christ commanded them to address God as our Father. Now, we need to keep in mind that the Lord's Prayer is a, a model prayer, a teaching prayer. Of course, it's, a, it's an actual prayer in itself, and we can use it to pray to the Lord, but its main purpose is to teach us how to pray. Teach us the kinds of things we should say in our prayers and the manner in which we should say them. The Bible has lots of examples of prayers, even different prayers by the Lord Jesus Himself, which use different words and different requests are brought forward. So, it's not that we have to say the Lord's Prayer every time we pray, but we should learn to think along and pray in the same manner as the Lord's Prayer. In other words, we should understand the principles behind each line that the Lord Jesus teaches us in this model prayer. And the first principle is actually not in any request that we make of God, but rather in the way that we address God, our Father. That's what the Lord Jesus puts forward. Say, our Father. And again, it's, it's not that we can't address God with other titles or names. The Psalms call upon Him many times as Yahweh or Adonai or God. They add adjectives like Almighty God or Holy God or Faithful Lord, and all of that is, of course, fine and well, but the point Jesus wants to make and impress upon us is that the God you pray to is your Father. Don't forget that. There's a relationship there, father to daughter, father to son. And like a princess or a prince might address the king, who is, of course, their father, they might well address the king as lord or your lordship or king. They would always do so with the heart of a child, you see. The king that they're addressing is their father, whom they know love them. So not only is there honor in their voice and respect in their tone, but there's also a great love and affection in their heart as they speak to the king. 
No matter then the name that you choose to address the Almighty with, make sure that you think of Him as your Father. You need to have that fully in view. Jesus was rather insistent upon that, in fact. We have a number of recorded prayers in the Bible of Jesus, and He taught on prayer more than a few times. Consistently, He spoke to, his, to God or He spoke about God as His Father. The only time He used another name was when He was in bitter suffering on the cross and called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those hours, His Father had abandoned Him. There was Jesus hanging on the cross in torture and agony in body and soul on account of our sin. In that darkness, He felt this awful distance between Himself and His Father, and so He uses the name God from Psalm 22. My God, my God. That was totally fitting. But do you know what Jesus' last words were before He died? Luke 23, He said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. By that point, the suffering was over. By that point, the darkness had passed. The connection between himself and his God was reestablished. God the judge was now reappearing as his Father again. And so Jesus brings all of his work to a conclusion by warmly, lovingly speaking his last word to his Father in heaven. And it's because of this incredible work, brothers and sisters, that you and I forever have the privilege of addressing our Creator as our Father. It's precisely because the Father turned away from His Son during those hours that the Father will never turn away from you. We're going to see this next Sunday, the Lord willing, at the Lord's Supper. In that Lord's Supper, we will have it put front and center to us in the broken bread and the, the poured out wine. Jesus was rejected. Because He was rejected, God cannot reject you and me who belong to Christ. We may call on Him as Father in the name of Jesus and 100% of the time know that we are heard as children. That's the great blessing we've been given and the attitude we are privileged to have. As, as the Catechism puts it, this address is to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ. So every time you, you bow your head, every time you get on your knees, every time you close your eyes and start speaking with God, whatever name you may choose to call Him, know and understand that you are a child speaking to your Father in heaven. Now it could be that some of us have a challenge with the concept of Father because maybe our human fathers didn't treat us very well as kids. And that 
may cause some of us to stumble in accepting God as our Father. Perhaps it's the case that some of us hardly knew our dads because they, they abandoned us. Maybe some of us were mistreated or, or possibly abused. Some may have had dads who were kind of aloof and distant and cool, didn't have a lot to do with us. There can be all sorts of poor fathers on earth. And if you're a child who's had a father like that, that hurts, it grieves, it pains. But brothers and sisters, don't let that experience you may have had, don't let that keep you from seeing and knowing and embracing your Father in heaven. The very reason you, you hurt about your earthly father is because your earthly father failed to live up to his high calling of fatherhood given him by God. As kids, we have a right to expect the tremendous blessing of a faithful father who was supposed to reflect the heavenly father. If you have that kind of pain, then your pain is a cry for a real dad, a genuine father. That's what we want. That's what we need. And brothers and sisters, that is what your father in heaven is for you, for me. He is that with no shortcoming, no sin, no failure, no abuse, no mistreatment, no neglect. Our heavenly father doesn't have a coolness toward us either, and he's never aloof. His heart always burns for us, His children. We started to see a little bit of that last week when we looked at Psalm 81 and God's yearning heart. Let's look at God's fatherly heart as Hosea 11 tells us about it. You might want to uh, turn with me to Hosea 11 for a moment. You know, Jesus may have stressed the fatherhood of God and made it front and center. It's on page 961 of the Pew Bible. The Lord Jesus made the concept of God as Father front and center, but it was not a brand new concept. That stands to reason because God does not change, does He? So His feelings toward His people cannot change. They've always, had, always been this way. He's always regarded Himself as Father to His people. Hosea writes, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. My son. And you can think of how when the Lord commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh, what did he say Moses should say to Pharaoh? Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. In other words, I am Israel's father. I love him. And that love is certainly the affection and care of the heart, but in Scripture, love always goes beyond emotion to action. The feeling of affection, it moved God's heart to rescue his son from slavery in Egypt. The, the chains of slavery to Pharaoh, you know, they were impossible to remove by human means. The army of Pharaoh was the strongest in the world. Israel was, were slaves. They could not rise up and defeat Pharaoh and march out of Egypt. No. 
But their God could take them out of Egypt by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And when the Father in heaven acted, there was no stopping him. Pharaoh tried to resist. Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt tried to resist, but one after the other in the plagues, God defeated Pharaoh and his gods. And the armies of Egypt, what happened to them? They were wiped out in the Red Sea. That's the love of the Father on display, rising up to defend His people and setting those slaves free. Listen to what Hosea says of God's fatherly heart in verse 3. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by, up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. You see how, how tender the Lord God is to His people? How gentle and caring. He's filled with both the love of a father and a mother. He created mothers. The love of a mother comes out of God's heart. Same with the love of a father. And he tends to his children with the greatest of attention and detail. This is the father, brothers and sisters, that you may call your father. The father you may speak with every day because of Jesus. He's this tender toward you and me. And there's even more to this father's heart. For you see, Israel the son did not really grasp the love of their father in heaven. They didn't understand it for what it was. Hosea tells us their first reaction. He says that in verse 2, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. What a, what a hurt that must have given to God. And you can think here of, of the whole history of the judges or even of the later kings, Israel rebelling against and rejecting their father, then suffering the consequences, then calling out to God in their suffering. And what did God their father do when they called out to him? Well, he responded to them every time again. Verse 7, though his children were bent on turning away from him, yet God did not turn away from them, not completely. Yes, the Lord God disciplined his people. He punished his children, but he never utterly rejected them like they deserved. That's what we need to know as well, beloved. Deep inside, every time we call upon our God, He is our Father who never gives up. Our God reasons to Himself this way, verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? You know those places, Adma and Zeboim? Maybe you know the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah a little better. Adma and Zeboim were neighboring towns to Sodom and Gomorrah. We read about them in Genesis. 
They were all part of the same grouping of towns in the Jordan Valley, and all those towns were in rebellion against God, and all those towns with Sodom and Gomorrah were burned up with fire from heaven. Israel, the Lord is saying, Israel had become as wicked as those cities. Their hearts were as rebellious as those Canaanite hearts. And yet for all their wickedness, the Father in heaven still says this, verse 8, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not execute my burning anger on Israel. Why? Because the Lord had planned to execute his burning anger on Jesus, his only begotten Son. This is the heart of your Father in heaven, my Father. The heart that welcomed back the prodigal Son, ran down to meet him down the lane, wouldn't hear of him taking up a servant's position. When that son came home with an obvious repentance and with a contrite heart, the father ran to meet him, put a ring on his finger, a robe on his shoulders, and he threw him a party. He threw him a party because of the love that bursts out of his heart for his children. Brothers and sisters, even foolish children like the Israelites of old, Foolish children like the Ancasterites, like us of today. What warmer reception could we have, beloved, for our prayers than to be received by our Father in grace like this? This is His attitude toward us. So if you've been a fool, if you've been rebellious like the Israelites, if you've, at this moment, got, got a sin in your life that you're not repenting from, then, then repent and, and go back to this Father who will receive you with open arms. If you are confused, ask Him for wisdom. He will not refuse. If you are weak, if you are discouraged, if you are downtrodden in your spirit, ask Him for strength, for courage. Ask Him to, to lift up your spirits. He will be only too happy to give that to you for Jesus' sake. All because of the boundless love of your Father's enormous heart. He wants to do these things for his children. And he's able to because of the boundless power of his fatherly hand. For there's another principle that our Savior taught us when he added the words, in heaven, our Father in heaven. What's the significance of that? Well, the Catechism puts it this way. These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So as, as much as we, we need to see and have in our minds the tender heart of our Father in heaven as we, we pray, we must never treat Him or think of Him in a casual or disrespectful manner 
we should, we should never think of him as incapable of answering our prayers either. In fact, the respect that we should have for God should grow. Many of us, I think, have earthly fathers who we have respected and loved, who, who have done their best to raise us despite their many weaknesses. And we, we love them and we, we honor them and we respect them. That's good. But the fact that such a man is our dad does not lower or diminish our respect. It only adds to it. Because when we think about all the things that our dad has done for us, all, all the care, all the, the support that he rendered over the years, all the love that our father poured into our lives, it makes us love and honor our dad that much more, doesn't it? Well, that's how it goes with our heavenly father, only to a much greater degree. His fatherly love for us, it, it's coupled with the majesty of heaven, and that love, it's never fallen short or been sinful. It's never been half-hearted. It's never been incomplete in any shape or form. So our respect for God must and does grow as we reflect on that. If we understand who our Father is, if we think about all that He has done and continues to do for us at this very moment, we will accord Him the fullest honor. We will treat Him with heartfelt wonder. And that, in turn, will help us to know and keep in mind our Father's mighty hand. That's an analogy used in the Scriptures quite a bit to describe the power of God and how secure we are in Him. This idea that God has a mighty right hand. I'm going to give a couple of examples. Moses sings about this after Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. Exodus 15, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Psalm 95, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. So when you pray to your Father in heaven, you absolutely need to think of his big heart, but also think of his mighty hand and how that hand protects you, how that hand preserves you, how that hand helps you and defends you so that you are kept in your Father's love always. That's what the Lord Jesus is getting at when he said of his sheep in John 10, my Father, who has given them to me, the sheep to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What's Jesus saying? My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Let those thoughts fill your heart when you call upon your majestic Father in heaven. Lord's Day 46 says that we may ask and we may expect from our powerful Abba, Father, all things we need for body and soul. We saw that phrase last Sunday. 
in Lord's Day 45, all things we need to keep us, body and soul, in close communion with our Father in heaven. This is our ultimate need, to, to be in close fellowship with our Father, to, to, to be in His company, that we straying children come back to Him and stay close to Him. Whatever then that we need to stay or become reconnected to our Father and stay connected to Him, that's what we ask for. And that is what the Lord will provide. And what power, what force out there anywhere can stop His fatherly hand from providing all that you and I need. What authority is there? What, what being do you know of that can hold back our Father's hand from providing care and support and grace and love and help? What spirit, what, what demon, what angel can fly in between our Father and us and cut off the contact? Nobody, and no thing, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us, declares to us, that no such power exists because they've been defeated by Jesus. Satan was the main challenger, and he was defeated by the cross. The Father is over all. And he has set his son on his throne at his right hand to exercise his rule for the good of his people and the glory of his name. And this is the basis for those well-known words in Romans 8, the words of Paul, For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What's he so sure of? Be sure of this, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of your Father in heaven, in His heart for you, that love is unbreakable because His fatherly hand is unstoppable. And his hand, it firmly rests on his only son, Jesus the King, to rule the world for the benefit of all God's people, of all the Father's family. That's the last principle to look at this afternoon in the opening to the Lord's Prayer. It's that little word, our. Our Father in heaven. Not my Father, says Jesus here, but our Father. And again, just to, to clarify, it's just like with the names of God, it's not that Jesus is saying, uh, you may never pray my Father or my God. Not at all. But even when we pray privately and use the first person singular like that, we must, this is Jesus' point, we must never forget the bigger family of God to which we belong. We are never an island. That's the point that the Lord makes in this prayer. God is not only 
my Father, but He is the Father of every true believer everywhere in the world. We need to think of ourselves as part of a larger picture, a larger family of God, because our God is painting a large picture and adopting for Himself a worldwide church of believers, a Catholic church, that He places together and brings together as brothers and sisters in one family. We're always part of the one family. That's why I wanted to name the column, the pastoral column, Life in the Family. It's an important biblical concept to keep in the forefront of our minds. The Psalms do this regularly. Many of them are prayers, as you probably know, often starting out in the singular, me and my and I, but very frequently ending up in the plural, we and us and our. It starts often with the psalmist's particular circumstances, but he ends up thinking about Israel as a collective, the family of God. One example from Psalm 103. David starts out, O oh, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. Bless your preserver, my inmost being. Praise his name with fervor. But toward the end, he comes to recall and contextualize his place among his brothers and sisters. David says, On all who fear him, God will have compassion, for well he knows how we were formed and fashioned. The Lord remembers that we are only dust. He's got the whole family of God in mind. We're in this together, brothers and sisters. That's why I regularly address you and will continue to address you as brothers and sisters from the pulpit in the bulletin. It's not a formality. It's not, hey, that's the old Dutch way. Why don't you drop that? No. It's the scriptural way. Brother, sister, it's a precious truth. You and I might have no shared background on God's green earth. We might be from ethnic backgrounds that are as far apart as you can have it. But because we share the same faith in the one Savior, Jesus Christ, we are brothers. We are sisters. We are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father, and I never want to forget that. We must never forget that. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. So think about your brothers and sisters in God's family when you pray. Think about them in, in the broader federation of churches as well as in this local church here in Ancaster. Think of your brothers and sisters throughout the world, the ones we've never met and may never meet in this life. Pray for them when they can't pray for themselves. Sing for them when they can't sing for themselves. Sing for them when sometimes you might find it hard to sing for yourself. I'm thinking about those songs, those prayers in the book of Psalms that pray to God to judge my enemies or our enemies, to rise up and defend against my oppressor or other psalms that 
that ask God to heal me in my sickness. We sang an example of that earlier in the service and this morning in Psalm 70, but Psalm 68 asks God to rise up in defense of His people. And you might think when you're paying attention to the lyrics, like, how can I sing that? I, I'm not under oppression. I'm not under attack at this moment. I'm not being persecuted or, in a different song, I'm not sick, I'm not suffering. How is this relevant for me? Well, it's relevant for you, brothers and sisters, because it's relevant to the family of God. It's relevant to some of your siblings in the faith somewhere. It is a reality. There are members of this congregation who are sick and suffering as we speak, so sing it for them. There are Christians in Canada who are being oppressed because they confess Jesus, and there are many more thousands of believers in Muslim countries, in China, in North Korea, and other places who are in prison. They're in gulags. They're beaten black and blue. Some of them have been put to death. They've had their goods stolen because they dare to follow Christ. If you cannot sing those prayers to God, for God to rise up in defense and take out the oppressors, if you can't sing them for yourself, sing them for them. Because they need it. They got nothing. They need the Lord to rise up in their defense and save them from the oppressor. Brothers and sisters, together in one family, that's our, our privilege and our blessing. Whether alone or together, we may call upon our one Father in heaven through Jesus Christ for all that we need in order to live in close fellowship with Him. So remember, you're God's fatherly heart. And remember His almighty hand and go to Him often. Talk with your Father and love Him just as He loves you. Amen.